inside game just yesterday It's made all that I learned The emptiness of life examined Hello out there and welcome to another episode of Things I Learn While Learning Other Things. This is an attempt by me, Joe Morahan, and my brother, J.S., to provide you with a series of interesting, informative, provocative maybe, enjoyable and perhaps entertaining stories that will help you navigate those high seas of life. Today's episode is dedicated to 1967, that summer of love, as it was called. Well, maybe. And that's the whole point of this episode. At the time, 1967, I was 15 years old and beating off, well, maybe I don't want to use the word beating off, but at least fending off the advances of a pedo priest in my high school. Not a great start to 1967, the year of the summer of love. But it was indeed a very interesting year, and whether or not it should earn a claim as the year of the summer of love will be up to you to to determine. But there are a number of stories from that year that might indicate otherwise. How about 1967, the year that Muhammad Ali was stripped of his heavyweight title uh, for refusing his induction into the army, claiming he ain't got nothing against them Viet Congs. But it was also the year Rolling Stone magazine started. It was also the year that the oil tanker Tory Canyon crashed into the rocks off Uh, Land's End causing an ecological disaster uh, in the oceans off the English coast. It was also the year that Congress created, the U.S. Congress, PBS. The year had got off to a good start with Super Bowl I, where the Green Bay Packers defeated the Kansas City Chiefs 35-10. Billie Jean King later a heroine of the LGBTQIA movement, won Wimbledon. Thurgood Marshall was named the first black Supreme Court justice. On the other hand, three astronauts were unfortunately killed in a fire in Florida. The Israeli-Arab Six-Day War raged. There were race riots across America. John McCain was shot down that year in Vietnam, became a POW. Alternatively, a life was saved. Dr. Christian Barnard of of South Africa invented the method by which the first human heart transplant was conducted. Paul Newman starred in Cool Hand Luke. The Beatles released Sgt. Pepper. On the other hand, Che Guevara, one man's freedom fighter, another man's terrorist, I go with terrorist, was killed in Bolivia. The song of the year was Michelle by the Beatles. But to show how confusing things were, the album of the year by Frank Sinatra. The Graduate was released starring Dustin Hoffman. Plastics. Get into plastics. Woody Guthrie, the legend, died. China announced it had tested its first 
hydrogen bomb. And the Supreme Court ruled in Loving versus Virginia that Virginia's ban on biracial marriage was unconstitutional. So, yeah, it may have been the summer of love, but there was a lot of other stuff going on as well. I can tell you that it was a great summer as a teenager. I mean, here's the music, some of the songs that were hits on the radio. I would listen to Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison, Groovin' by the Rascals, Windy by the Association, Carrie Ann by the Hollies, I'm a Believer by the Monkees. That, uh, that song embarrasses me. But good um, Georgie Girl by the Seekers from Australia. The Stones offered up, now here's where it gets interesting to me, Ruby Tuesday, and the Beals released All You Need Is Love and Penny Lane. Aretha Franklin rocked the world when she gave us R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and the Turtles gave us Happy Together. But the problem for 1967 was we all weren't happy together that summer of 1967. For on July 23rd, for example, the city of Detroit literally exploded. Trouble had begun at 5 a.m., and peace was restored only after five days and wild nights of hideous violence. At the end of it all, 43 people lay dead. 342 people had been injured. 3,800 people arrested. And and nearly 5,000 folks were suddenly found homeless. Arsonists had set 1,400 fires in Detroit proper. And and, And those fires burned to ashes 1,600 buildings. By, you know, by fate, the, that week, the number one hit song in America was by Jim Morrison and the Doors. And, of course, ironically, it was called Light My Fire. To call happenings in Detroit the riot on 12th Street, to which it is, it is, is commonly known, um, and as some referred, referred to those events in Detroit that summer, is, is to fail to truly understand that this was no ordinary disturbance. Um, no, just a small mob out of control. No, this was a full-scale insurrection by the black population of Detroit. Snipers from rooftops were picking off outnumbered police and firemen who were struggling to put out 1,400 fires that were cooking Detroit. The Republican governor was named George Romney. Yes, Mitt's father. And he, he, he pleaded with uh, the Democratic president of the United States, LBJ, to send in federal troops in support of an overwhelmed National Guard, itself floundering in, in support of a besieged, literally besieged Detroit Police Department. And as is always the case with a democracy, things get messy in a hurry. I mean, Thucydides told us of this 2,500 years ago. Human behavior never changes. 
So LBJ, the consummate hardball politician, saw that Romney as a potential opponent in the upcoming 1968 presidential election in November might be in trouble if he were to you know, state that he had lost control of the largest city in his state. And, and Vietnam at this point hadn't yet consumed totally LBJ's soul sufficiently to rule out that he, he might make it a, a, a re-election run, um, though, you know, soon Vietnam would turn LBJ to toast. So in hopes of dis- distancing himself as far as possible from the violence and the madness that was raging on the streets of Detroit, LBJ demanded that Romney himself first declare an insurrection, a formal declaration uh, required under the Posse Comitatus Act of 1878. That was signed into law by um, President Rutherford B. Hayes. And, And such a formal declaration is required by law before federal troops might be activated um, to engage in battle against its own citizenry. Um, Think, you know, President Hoover in 1932 um, had General MacArthur go get those bonus vets um, and, you know, roll tanks through Washington, D.C., um, to remove those protesting vets, and you and and you'll understand why why there's a reason, you know, why why there's a need for such a law to exist, uh, a formal declaration of an inst- instruction before federal troops are used on its citizens. In any event, Romney hoped that he might avoid such public admission. It was so embarrassing of, of just how to, out of control the situation was in De- Detroit. Um, I mean, to do so was, was literally proof that the state of Michigan recognized under Romney's rule that it had lost control of the affairs in the city of Detroit and it lacked the wherewithal to stop the incredible violence that was destroying the city. And, you know, history has shown us that um, and confirmed that LBJ wasn't a stickler for detail whenever he was invoking his powers, which seemingly were, in, you know, amazingly broad um, uh, under law. He tended, LBJ did, um, to see things his way. He, he, he would act on his own advice. And it wasn't uncommon for LBJ to take advantage of a political opponent wounded in the course of political machinations. Romney might very well need help. In fact, LBJ himself was sure that he did need federal, federal help to end the violence. But LBJ saw little political harm in letting Romney twist a little longer uh, in the wind. A bit longer would be good before LBJ would relent and send in the U.S. Army. Romney uh, eventually had to cave in, and he did cave in. And as LBJ knew that he must, uh, issuing the formal insurrection declaration stating that 
the problems in Detroit were, were beyond the control of the city of Detroit and the governor himself. He, he, he had to. People in Detroit were at war with its government. And at that pro- precise moment in time, the state of Michigan was losing that war. So LBJ then ordered federal troops in with hardware. 7,000 National Guardsmen and paratroopers of the U.S. Army were on the ground fighting, not to um, quelch a riot, but they were engaged in a full-scale guerrilla war against an entrenched army. This was outright rebellion in Detroit. Tanks rolled down Detroit's inner city streets in convoys while anarchy reigned. What what began as an unlicensed, um, as a raid against an unlicensed watering hole, ironically uh, known to the local black residents as the blind pig, it quickly escalated from a rather Um, limited confrontation between police and patrons under arrest, a few bystanders outside the blind pig, and it soon devolved into a chaotic, nightmarish hell. I mean, complete mayhem enveloped the streets of Detroit. Mobs soon formed, and they attacked anything that moved. Looters went to work. Arsonists roamed freely, and, and it created hellish scenes in the city of Detroit. Detroit, you know, they were like scenes that were depicted in Dante's Inferno. That's how bad it was. And before long, there were actually rooftop snipers locked in. Molotov cocktails were being tossed, and mobs pummeled unfortunate passersby, anybody who was at the scene. The mean streets of Detroit imploded. Fire, fires soon merged and spread with the speed of wildfires. I mean, the ensuing infernos just raged. It was like a mini Dresden, Germany under Allied bombings. Fires spread with, with, with literally no hope of containment. Not by firefighters, subject to unopposed rooftop snipers armed with high-powered rifles, supported by, you know, high-tech scopes. And then when Detroit's mayor unfortunately publicly announced that police were not permitted to shoot looters, looting spread at a speed unrivaled except by the Chinese virus COVID-19 across the city and chaos engulfed Detroit. And I should point out that one year, I I was a resident of Chicago. One year later, faced with similar circumstances, uh, on April 15th, um, 1968, one week after 11 people had died in rioting in the city of Chicago post the assassination of Martin Luther King, Mayor Richard Daley issued his notorious shoot-to-kill order. Shoot to kill all arsonists and shoot to maim all looters. And he had claimed that there was no reason for lawlessness in the city and immorality and something had to give. And it was not going to be the city of Chicago or its government. What kind of society are we building, the mayor asked. We need discipline or we will get anarchy. So when 
Detroit's mayor had publicly announced policy, police policy was not to shoot looters. Chaos engulfed Detroit for five days and nights. It was a nihilist wet dream, so to speak, a nightmarish situation. Even Russian anarchist Mikhail uh, Bakunin would have gotten off on this level of violence. At last... After five days and nights of hideous atrocities, some semblance of control over the city of Detroit was established. And certain things were now clear. Race relations in the U.S. in 1967 were worse than existed in 1965 during the L.A. Watts riots. Black rage was real and activism skyrocketed. White flight from Detroit... Um, was was certain, and it increased expen exponentially in late 1967 and in 1968. 40,000 white families fled Detroit over the next 12 months, 80,000 in 1969. And as black activism and rage spiked, the countervailing force, white flight, sent property values plummeting. And as Detroit property prices collapsed, the city's tax base tanked with it. Quantity and quality of the services provided by the city to its citizenry, you know, that it had rendered to residents declined precipitously. And, in two, and I should say, in 2022, it's still the city of Detroit still has not fully recovered. Detroit is, is ancient Rome. In 1950, the population of, of Detroit was 1.8 million. And it dwindled to 685,000 people by the start of this year. Students that are interested in the field of civil administration attend colleges um, where they study, um, you know, city planning, management of a city's ever-growing demand for resources, utilities, water systems, sewage treatment facilities, school system management, road works, you know, transit, parking, policing, zoning, open space management, licensing, and tax policy, among the numerous other, you know, the copious other um, city management activities required of any modern uh, uh, size or complexity. But no university prepares civil administration students, the administrators of the future, as to how to manage a city that has lost two-thirds of its population over a 70-year period. This was a mess in Detroit, and Detroit is worse off perhaps even today, or at least it's no better. Now, re remember, history records 1967 as the year being the summer of love. But as I've tried to demonstrate, there was a lot of stuff going on, and all of it wasn't the turtles happy together. Uh, when 
Martin Luther King, when Dr. King was assassinated on April 4th of 1968, you know, all hope of integration and pursuit of economic parity between the races by nonviolent means appeared to die with him, you know, replaced by the, an incendiary, you know, black power movement led by radicals, Malcolm X, H. Rep. Brown, Eldridge Cleaver, uh, Cleaver, Stokely Carmichael, whom preached violence and segregation as the means to improving the plight of African Americans. And, and nothing more dramatically exemplified the change to come between you know, Dr. King's message and that of Malcolm X than Malcolm X's convening in Detroit in that 1967 Summer of Love, an assembly of black leaders whom after debate announced the formation of a new country, a new nation to be called the Republic of New Africa to be headquartered uh, somewhere in the five southern states that they felt might best host this new nation. A declaration of independence was read and the first president of the Republic of New Africa was announced. The president would be Robert F. Williams. And, and I was 15 and I re, at the time, and I remember saying to myself, thinking, wow, um, more violence was definitely headed our way and headed our way soon. There were, there, there's just no two ways about it. Things... Uh, were about to change and not for the better, as there were millions of very angry citizens out there. You know, the Lovin's Spoonfuls Hot Town Summer in the City hit number one on Billboard charts the year before. And shortly after all this, the Canadian band Bachman Turner Overdrive uh, would have a number one hit with you ain't seen nothing yet, and there's no doubt they got that right. For here we sit, 55 years later, and I am not, it is not clear to me that things are better from a racial standpoint. Hey, thanks for listening, and we hope you will better appreciate that awesome but controversial Summer of Love, 1967. Bye-bye. And thanks for listening. Inside game just yesterday It's made all that I Of life examined, time can't be returned. Misguided all of my own. The East, that's what I thought. I failed to see that I 
two eyes that can't make you see It's the mind that paints all these pictures Like the mirage of the deserts I misread all the signals I never knew that I'd been lost I thought goes from way back in my past never knew how much it costs Just a drop of rain and a thunderstorm Another grain of sand on the beach A blade of grass on a mountain field Another car on a shower street Mistakes, just things that I've done I can tell and I've broken the heart Can she forgive me? Can she forget? Can she keep us from falling apart? I hope that she knows that I'm meant no harm My demons, they led me astray I trust that she 